اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم سنلقی فی قلوب الذین کفروا الرعب بما اشرکو باللہ ما لم ينزل به سلطانا ومأواهم النار وبئس مثوى الظالمین We will cast terror into the hearts of those who disbelieve for what they have associated with Allah of which he had not sent down any authority and their refuge will be the fire and wretched is the residence of the wrongdoers. We learned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the helper of who? Of those who believe. Balillahu mawlakum. Allah is your mawla, he is your friend, he is your protector and he is the best of helpers. And those who ask Allah for His help, those who prove themselves deserving of His help, then does Allah abandon them? Not at all. Allah helps them. Allah helps them through ways that they cannot even imagine. One of the ways through which Allah helps such people is how that He puts fear into the hearts of who? Their enemies. If the enemy is afraid, will he be able to attack? No. If someone is afraid of you, can they say anything to you at your face? Not at all. Can they do anything to hurt you? No, they cannot. When a person is afraid, then they are, you can say, paralyzed. Their fear stops them from taking any action. So one of the ways through which Allah protected His Messenger, through which Allah protected the believers on the day of Uhud was how? That He cast fear into the heart of the mushrikeen. But you might say that no, I mean the mushrikeen were coming and attacking the Muslims one after the other. They killed so many. They even tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ one after the other. They were coming to assassinate him. So where was the fear? You know that at the beginning, the Muslims were victorious. And inshallah we will learn about it, that how their victory turned into defeat. And when the mushrikeen attacked the Muslims again, yes, they came to kill the Prophet ﷺ many times. But when it was rumored that he had been killed, what happened? They stopped fighting, they started packing up, they started to leave. And the Prophet ﷺ at that time, what did he do? He ascended the mountain of Uhud in order to take protection over there. And this was something that was not known to the mushrikeen, the Prophet ﷺ was still alive. But they heard the cries of happiness and joy that the Sahaba made when they saw the Prophet ﷺ alive. So the mushrikeen, they thought that he was alive, but they wanted to make sure. And Ibn Ishaq, a historian, he related that when the messenger of Allah ﷺ was going up the hillock, he was followed by Ubay bin Khalaf. When the Prophet ﷺ was going up the hillock, Ubay bin Khalaf, one of the mushrikeen, he was following. Now imagine a small group of Muslims is climbing up the mountains, and one of the mushrikeen, he is following them. And he was saying, where is Muhammad ﷺ? Either I kill him or I will be killed. The companions of Muhammad ﷺ said, O Messenger of Allah, do you mind if one of us combats with him? Do you mind if one of us goes and deals with him? But the Prophet ﷺ said, leave him. Let me deal with him. And when the man, when Ubay bin Khalaf drew near, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ took a spear from one of the companions and he threw it towards Ubay bin Khalaf. Ubay bin Khalaf barely got hit by it. The spear did not really kill him at that moment. It just hit him, just kind of knocked at him. But because of that blow, 
he got so frightened, he actually fell and he rolled over several times and he thought he had died. He actually got up and he said, Muhammad has killed me, Muhammad has killed me, wasallam. And he ran towards his people, but when they checked him, there was only a scratch on his neck. Only a scratch. But he was so determined, he was so frightened, he said, he has killed me. Because he said that he was going to kill me. So he has killed me. I'm done. I'm gone. He was terrified. And because of that incident, the rest of the mushrikeen also, they got afraid. He, this man, Ubay bin Khalaf, actually saw the Prophet ﷺ. The rest of the people could have said, okay, let's go and deal with him. You stay here. Let's go and deal with him. But when they saw Ubay bin Khalaf petrified, when they saw him freaking out, nobody dared to go. They were overcome with fear. They were overcome with fear. Another incident is how another group of mushrikeen from the other side, they went up the mountain. Because it wasn't like the whole army of the mushrikeen was in one place. They were scattered all over the area. Because, you know, when people would go even for wars, they would go in their own groups. Like, for example, their own tribes or their own divisions. So another group came when they saw the Prophet ﷺ and they went up the mountain. So the Messenger of Allah ﷺ said to Sa'ad, drive them off. He said, how can I drive them off by myself? Meaning, how can I do it alone? There's a group of them and here I am alone, one individual. How am I supposed to do that? But the Messenger of Allah ﷺ repeated the phrase three times. He said, no, drive them off. So Sa'ad who took an arrow out of his quiver and shot it at one of them and killed him. He took another arrow and shot it and killed another man. He took another arrow, shot it and killed another man. When the people saw that this one man is killing one after the other of us, they ran away. They were dealing with who? One Muslim man. There was a whole group of them. But what happened? They got afraid and they ran away. The Prophet ﷺ then ascended the mountain and the rest of the Muslims also joined him over there. And then the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, they all prayed. They tended to their wounds and they also took a short nap. And then they checked on the Mushrik army that were they heading towards Medina or towards Mecca. When they saw it, they were heading towards Mecca. They were not riding their horses but riding their camels. Then the Prophet ﷺ and the companions descended from the mountain and dealt with the martyrs in the battlefield. But basically we see that the mushrikeen, they could have easily killed the Prophet ﷺ over there. There was only a handful of Muslims left. But what happened? They were overcome by fear and they left. This fear, who put it into their hearts? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah put that fear into their hearts. So, this is a reality. When a person relies upon Allah, asks Him for help, then Allah helps him in ways he cannot even imagine. Remember that famous incident where the Prophet ﷺ was once taking rest under a tree and his sword was hanging. And a man came, grabbed his sword and said, Who can save you from me? Oh Muhammad ﷺ, who can save you from me? He had the sword in his hand. Muhammad ﷺ was sleeping. He had just woken up because of the man's cry. And when the Prophet ﷺ rose, what did he say? Allah will. The man got so frightened that the sword slipped out of his hands. So normally this doesn't happen. That a person is told, Allah will save me and he gets so afraid that the sword falls from his hand. It doesn't happen normally. But why did this happen? Because Allah put the fear into the heart of that man. Why? Because Allah was helping his messenger. Sometimes we are overcome with fear. 
when we are overcome with fear, then writing the simplest exam also becomes very difficult. Correct? Fear causes defeat and failure. Because then you are not confident. You cannot trust yourself. You almost believe that you will fail. So that leads you to your failure. When you believe that you're going to fail, you are going to fail. Right? So when Allah gives confidence to the believer and puts fear into the heart of his enemy, then this is help from him. Then Allah says, وَلَقَدْ صَدَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ وَعْدَهُ And Allah had certainly fulfilled His promise to you. When the Muslims returned to Medina, the obvious question was, what happened? Wasn't Allah supposed to help you? What happened? And you may have felt as well that if you failed at something, then you wonder, why didn't Allah help me? How come Allah didn't help me? How come this was so difficult for me? How come this experience was so long and exhausting for me? Why? What went wrong? Allah tells the believers, Allah fulfilled His promise. Notice the word sadaqa. What does this mean? From sidq, truthfulness. That Allah proved His promise true. He said He was going to help you and He helped you. He said He was going to grant you victory and He did in fact. When? Is the husunahum bi'idnihi when you were killing the enemy by his permission? Meaning, at the beginning, what happened? You were victorious. The word the husuna is from the root letters ha, seen, seen, from the word his, and his means sense, like the sense of touch, the sense of smell, the sense of hearing, the sense of seeing. This is what his, and hasa, hasa is to kill someone by striking their senses. So basically, for example, a person's eyes, if they're wounded really badly, then the person cannot survive. Likewise, the ears, you know, if a person is is struck on them, then a really violent blow, then he cannot survive. So the husuna, you were killing them, you were rendering their senses, you know, incapable, you were killing them in that manner, the husunahum, bi'idnihi, but all of this was happening how? By his permission, because he allowed it. He was helping you. So in other words, Allah was giving victory to you. But then what happened? You did something wrong, and you changed that victory into defeat. حَتَّى إِذَا فَشِلْتُمْ وَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ وَعَصَيْتُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا أَرَاكُمْ مَا تُحِبُّونَ until when you became weak, when you lost heart yourself, and you disputed amongst yourself, and you disobeyed after seeing what you love. So Allah was giving victory to you, but you changed that victory yourself. So don't blame Allah for your defeat. Who should you blame? For yourself. Because think about it. If there is an exam, for example, that you have to take, Allah helps us. How? That Allah provides us the means, gives us the time, gives us the mind, the intellect to understand. He has given us everything that we need in order to pass that exam. But if we don't study ourselves, then whose fault is it? We say, oh, I prayed 10 rakat nafl, begging Allah for help. But I still failed. Why? Because you never opened the book. You never studied. You never did your part. So how can you blame Allah for your defeat? It is your fault. But we think that the help of Allah means you do nothing and miracles are going to happen. No, 
Allah helps us how? By providing us the means, giving us the ability, which means that we have to do something ourselves. And Allah will create ease. This is just like if there's a book that you have to read. Until you open it, until you study it, I'm sorry, you're not going to understand it. But once you start studying it, once you start reading it, then what will happen? You will begin to understand it. It will gradually become easier for you. I remember in high school, I struggled with math so much that I really thought I was going to fail. I took my O-levels and I thought, I'm not going to get a good grade at all. But I made up my mind that no, I have to understand. I have to understand. And I gave it my maximum capacity that I had. I used in order to understand all those concepts. And I practiced like crazy. Literally, there were books and books and books that I filled up with practice. And alhamdulillah, I scored an A. I scored 90%. But till today, I know that it was because, yes, I asked Allah, I begged Him for help, but I also made use of the time and the ability, the resources that He had provided. And if I had not made use of that, I would not have succeeded, not at all. So this is something that is true for worldly success, okay, as well as for the success of the akhirah. When it comes to math and science and geography, we understand that if we don't study, we're not going to pass. Likewise, when it comes to deen, when it comes to you know problems in life, the same principle has to be applied. You use the resources Allah has provided and then Allah will grant you victory. So if you fail, don't blame Allah, blame yourself. وَلَقَدْ صَدَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ وَعْدَهُ إِسْتَحُسُّونَهُمْ بِإِذْنِهِ Now at the beginning, how are the Muslims gaining victory? Now remember when the Prophet ﷺ left Medina with the army, وَإِذْ غَدَوْتَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ They camped between Medina and Uhud. And spent the night over there. And the next morning, the Muslims proceeded to Uhud. But remember, the mushrikeen had already arrived. And they were camped between Medina and Uhud as well. So the Prophet ﷺ took the army from the other side, you know, from sideways. And they went on to the foot of the Mount Uhud. So that the Mount Uhud was behind the Muslim army. The mushrikeen were in front of them. And behind the mushrikeen was the city of Medina. Alright, so the mushrikeen were basically between the Muslims and Medina. And where was the mountain of Uhud? Behind the Muslim army. Why did the Prophet ﷺ do that? Why did the Muslim army camp there? Because with the mountain on their back, automatically they were defended. They were secure from the back. They were few in numbers, so the Prophet ﷺ had to be very strategic. Alright? Then likewise, the hills of Mount Uhud, they're not just you know one big mountain, but they're actually hills. Have you ever seen... Have you ever seen? Any one of you been to Medina? How is it? It's like a mountain range almost. It's long, right? And have you actually gone closer to the mountain? So it's like small hills that are scattered in a way. So the Prophet ﷺ camped in a way that the Muslim army was protected from two sides. Not just the back, but also one side. Now they had to guard just one side and fight the enemy from the front. So the one side where they were unprotected, the Prophet ﷺ, appointed the archers. And the Prophet ﷺ divided the rest of the Muslim army into two rows. So they were basically standing all across. All right? And the Prophet ﷺ himself with some companions stood at the base of Mount Uhud, guiding and instructing the Muslim army as to what to do. And he also told them that do not start the battle until 
I allow, until I command you. The Muslims were few. The Prophet ﷺ gave very clear instructions. For example, those archers, the 50 men, he instructed them that if you see a snatched into pieces by birds, do not leave this position of yours. Meaning if you see that we have been killed, and birds are coming and eating our corpses, still you are not going to move until I send for you. And if you see that we have defeated the enemy, and trodden on them, do not desert your position until I send for you. So whether we lose or we win, you're not moving from here. That's the clear instruction the Prophet ﷺ gave to them. Those in the front, he told them, no fighting until I allow, until I command you. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't just give rules and instructions, but he also encouraged the Muslims. In Ar-Rahiq al-Makhtum, are you familiar with the book? The sealed nectar, the seal of the Prophet ﷺ. In that it is mentioned that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, forbade the Muslims to start the fight without having an order from him. He then wore two armors. You have to do your part. He wore two armors, a front armor and a back one. So he was protected from the front as well as the back. And he urged his companions to fight and spurred them to show stamina and steadfastness at fight. He took a sharp sword. The Prophet ﷺ took a sharp sword, held it in his hand and called out unto his companions and said, who is ready to take the sword and give it its proper due? Who's going to take the sword and give it its proper due? Many men set out to take it. Some of them were Ali, radiallahu anhu, Az-Zubayr bin Awwam, Umar bin Khattab, but it was granted to none. Then Abu Dujana, he inquired, O Messenger of Allah, what is its price? The Prophet ﷺ said, it is to strike the enemy's faces with it until it was bent. Meaning, use the sword so much that it is bent. So Abu Dujana said, O Messenger of Allah, I will take it for that price. And he was given the sword. And Abu Dujana, he was a man of courage, who used to swagger at war. What does that mean? That's the word that's used in the book. I'm not making it up. So what does the sentence mean? That when he would go to war, he you know, deal with me. I'll chop your head off. Like he used to like, you know, walk like a gangster, you can say. Like that wrestler walk. Okay? You know, like that wrestler walk. You know how people walk? You know what I'm talking about, right? When people think that they're a cool basketball player and they come to the court, you know, bouncing their ball and giving those smirks. So this is how Abu Dujana used to walk. Where? In the battle. And this is like what? Inviting the enemy. That come fight with me. So Abu Dujana, he was a man of courage. And he had a red band, which he used to wear around his head. And a red band draws a lot of attention. And whenever he was headbanded, everybody knew that he was determined to fight to death. Therefore, as soon as Abu Dujana took the Prophet's sword, he banded his head and started strutting amongst the fighters. He started walking with like pride and arrogance that come fight with me, you know, I'll deal with you. Watching him doing that, the Messenger of Allah said, this is a sort of walking that Allah hates, except in such a situation. So when you're wearing those cool jeans, okay, and those sunglasses, and if you walk like that, Allah hates that kind of a walk. It was only befitting to who? Abu Dujana when he was in the battle, inviting the enemy that come, 
Come to me and I'll deal with you. Az-Zubair bin Awam, he said, I felt angry and discouraged when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, refused to give me the sword, but gave it to Abu Dujana. He said, I felt very angry. I said to myself, I am his paternal uncle, the cousin of his aunt Sophia, a Qurayshi. Meaning, I'm related to the Prophet ﷺ. Besides, I was the first who demanded it, and yet he favored him to me. He gave him the sword and not me. As Zubair said, By Allah, I will watch how he will use it. So he said, I followed Abu Dujana. I followed him around during the battle to see what he will do. And I saw him take out his red band and wear it around his head. Seeing him like that, the helper said, Abu Dujana had worn the band of death. And then he set out saying loudly, I am the one whom my inmate friend made covenant with, that when we were under the palm trees on the mountainside, the covenant that we made was that I should not fight at the rear, but fight at the front, heroically with the sword of Allah and His messengers. Abu Dujana was not just walking in a particular way, he was also saying things which would invite the enemy, like really bug the enemy, really irritate the enemy, so that the enemy, one after the other, they would actually come to Abu Dujana. Azubair said, no one stood the way of Abu Dujana but was killed. Because he was a very strong, courageous, powerful man. So he kept saying such statements. He kept walking in that manner with his red band. Everybody started coming towards him. And anybody who came, he killed him. There was a man among the idolaters whose only target was to finish off the wounded Muslims. Any Muslim who was wounded, a mushrik man was going around, you know, killing any wounded Muslim. During the fight, Abu Dujana drew near that man. So I implored Allah that they might engage in combat. They in fact did and exchanged two sword strikes. And Abu Dujana killed him. Then we also learned that Zubair said that into the thick of the battle, he rushed to kill a person who was inciting the enemy to fight the Muslims. Because the mushrikeen, they weren't just fighting, but there were people amongst them who were saying verses of poetry, inciting their people against the Muslims. So there was a person who was you know, saying verses of poetry and inciting the people against the Muslims. Abu Dujana said, you know what? I'm going to finish you first. So he went to him. Upon this, and when he got to him, he raised his sword in order to finish that man. But the person shrieked, and it was a woman. It was a woman. Who was that woman? Does anyone know? Hind. The woman who eventually embraced Islam, but she had Hamza, radiallahu anhu, killed by Wahshi. Right? So anyway, Abu Dujana, when he saw it was a woman, he spared her, saying that I respect the Prophet's sword too much to use it on a woman. This is the Prophet's sword. As much as I want to get rid of this woman, I'm not going to use a Prophet's sword against her because the Prophet ﷺ has forbidden us from killing women and children and the old and the monks right, in battle. Even if that woman is inciting the mushrikeen against the Muslims, still he spared her. And a very strong woman. Imagine she was standing in the thick of the battle, in the middle. So strong and courageous she was. So this was Abu Dujana's story. Then, there were many other companions who were fighting bravely. If I go into their details, we won't be able to complete Surah Ali Imran at all. So I leave that to you to read through Sirah books, so that you can find out the details. But on the other hand, the 50 archers that the Prophet ﷺ had appointed, what were they doing? Were they just standing there doing nothing? No. 
we learned that the Meccan horsemen, commanded by Khalid bin Walid, supported by Abu Amr al-Fasiq, had for three times attacked the left wing of the Muslim army with the aim of crushing it and then infiltrating into the rear to create a sort of confusion and disorder into the ranks of the Muslims and subsequently inflict heavy defeat on them. But thanks to the dexterity and great efforts of the archers, the three assaults were thwarted. So the mushrikeen actually tried to come through the way of the archers how many times? Three times. But every time they came, the archers, they repelled them. They shot arrows at them, which forced the mushrikeen to withdraw and come fight the Muslims from the front. So the Muslims... If the husunahum bi'idnihi, they were really inflicting heavy slaughter on the mushrikeen despite their few numbers. Al-Barra bin Azib, it is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari, he said that when we fought them, they fled. When we fought them, the mushrikeen began to flee. And their women could be seen fleeing in the mountains. Their women were also trying to run away. Those women who had come inciting the mushrikeen against the Muslims. They were seen fleeing in the mountains with their anklets and legs revealed. They were desperate to get away. The Muslims pursued the enemies, putting them to sword and collecting the spoils. So basically, they did put them to flight. And when they put them to flight, what happened? The Muslims, they thought that we are victorious. It was too early. It was too early. This is just like you think that the food is ready and you take it out of the oven and you put it on the table, but then you see that the meat is still slightly raw. Or the food is still gooey. The sauce is not fully done. Why do we take the food out too quickly? Because we don't have the patience. Right? We don't have the patience. We lose our courage and confidence to be patient. We just give up. We can't wait anymore. Likewise, the Muslims were so happy that they couldn't wait. And why could they not wait? Because they saw something they wanted. And what was that? The war booty. The Muslims, you might say, that's very greedy. I mean, why would they want war booty? Because remember that many of them were who? Immigrants from Mecca. Who, whose properties had been taken away by the mushrikeen. They were driven out of their homes, out of their properties, out of their city, just because of their Islam. And you know the kind of difficult lives they were living in Medina. And besides, they were human beings as well. They were human beings. If you think about it, if you go to the mall, and there's like some crazy sale, how are people going through the stuff? How? You know, sometimes I'm just shocked. Like you go to a store and you see the lineup and you just want to walk out. Or you see how the clothes, you know, they're all over the floor. They're all mixed up because of the way people have taken the stuff out. As if you can't find the clothes anywhere. As if you have no clothes on your body, which is why you're desperate to get them. You go to the mall on Boxing Day or something like that. What's the state of the people? They're going crazy. They're shopping bags. They cannot carry them. In the stores, it's as if they've lost their sanity. Literally, if you go to a store where you get things on a cheaper price, like Winners or Marshalls or something, I mean, you see items that are abused because of the way people have opened them or used them. Nothing is worth buying because of the way that people have gone through the stuff. Isn't it so? And these are people whose houses are full, who have so much that they cannot even manage their stuff. 
Isn't it so? But yet, how do they go through the dunya? As if they're desperate for it. So why is it that when we hear that the Muslims, they ran to get war booty, we think, oh, that was so bad. They were human beings as well. They were people as well. So it's understandable. It is normal. Don't think that the Sahaba were not righteous people just because they went for war booty. They were human beings. And they thought that the war was over, that they were victorious, which is why they went. But when they went, it was a mistake. We don't say that it was something wrong. It was wrong. But don't think of the Sahaba as sinful people, as evil people, as greedy people, because they went for war booty. No, don't think like that. They were after all human beings. And human beings make mistakes. So, إِسْتَحُسُونَهُمْ بِإِذْنِهِ حَتَّى All of this changed, إِذَا فَشِلْتُمْ When you lost heart. فَشِلْتُمْ From فَاشِينَ لَمْ فَشَلْ To lose heart, to be cowardly, to fail, to become weak-hearted. They became weak-hearted when, when they saw the dunya. They were fighting so fiercely, defending so fiercely, standing on their positions, guarding the Muslims with so much strength and determination. But all of that changed, all of that was lost when they saw something they wanted. And not just fashiltum, but وَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ تَنَازَعْتُمْ From noon زَائِعِينَ نَزَعَ is to fight. And تَنَازُعْ is to fight with one another, to dispute with one another. So you disputed with one another fil amr concerning the matter. Which matter? The matter of victory. Because the archers, they wanted to go and collect the booty. But Abdullah bin Jubayr, who was appointed as their leader, he reminded them that, look, we're not allowed to go until the Prophet ﷺ sends for us. So there was a tanazur. There was a dispute amongst the archers. They said to their leader that, no, we're not meant to stand here forever. You look at the mushrikeen women, they're running away. The mushrikeen horsemen, they're gone. I mean, we are definitely winners. The Muslims are collecting the booty. Why should we be standing here? Let's go. But Abdullah bin Jubayr said that no. But the archers did not listen to him. And 40 of them, they went. And only 10 of them were left standing in their positions. And you disobeyed. After that Allah showed you, Arakum, He showed you, meaning Allah showed you, that which you love. You disobeyed who? First of all, your leader, Abdullah bin Jubayr. He told you, do not move, do not go away. But you did not listen to him. Why did the Prophet ﷺ appoint a leader above you? So that you listen to him. You do what he tells you to do. But you disobeyed him. Secondly, you disobeyed who? The Prophet ﷺ. When he told you, do not move, even if you see birds eating our flesh, still do not move. Then why did you move? Asaytum, you disobeyed. But this disobedience was a result of what? Seeing that which they loved. Seeing that which they wanted, the dunya. Allah says, Minkum, among you, is who? Man yuridu dunya, he who wants the dunya. Wa minkum, man yuridu akhirah. And among you are those who desire the hereafter. Among you are still present those who love the dunya, whose goal is the dunya, who want the things of this world, and among you are those who want the hereafter. Those who left their positions, what was their goal? The dunya. 
And those who stayed in their positions, what was their goal? The akhirah. Those who wanted the dunya, love of this world, love of the things of this world, what happened? It led them to three things. Disobedience, dispute, and weakness of heart. And this is the result of the love of this world. When a person loves the things of this dunya, then what happens? He ends up disobeying Allah. How? That a person sometimes knows that this object is something that I should not use. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to someone else. But the love of that object makes a person disobey Allah. Does it? Yes, it does. Likewise, it leads to tanazur, fighting. How? Why did you wear my scarf? Why did you use my cream? Come on, it's only cream. No, but why did you? It belongs to me. You never asked me. Tanazur. What do siblings fight about? This is mine. No, this is mine. This is mine. No, this is mine. My turn. No, my turn. Correct? Tanazur. Dispute. Fighting. Because of what? Love of this world. And this doesn't just happen in children. Even in adults. Even the husband and wife sometimes argue over what? Over things. This is my car. I bought it. This is my money. My dad gave it. Hmm? Arguments. Even in adults. Over what? Over the things of this world. And thirdly, fashiltum, fashal. Weakness of heart. Because the love of this world makes a person a coward. Because she is crying. Why? Because a necklace broke. She is so sad because she lost her favorite belt. She is so upset because her sweater shrank in the dryer. Right? So upset, so sad because the newly painted wall got scratched. Hmm? So sad. Fashiltum. If you think about it, especially women, what's our weakness? Our stuff, our jewelry, our clothes, our pins, our houses, our belongings, our sheets, our linens, our towels, our clean mirror that we just cleaned and somebody comes and splashes water over it and we're so upset and furious, disheartened. Because it's the love of this dunya. The love of this dunya weakens a person, makes him a coward. He cannot part with his favorite things or her favorite things. And this is the cause of defeat and failure. If you think about it, the things of this world, they're temporary things. But still we get so attached with them that we can't even think about parting with them. And if something, God forbid, something happens to them, we are so disheartened. We cannot focus on anything. If we don't have something, we feel we are so deprived, we are so poor, we're so unfortunate. And if we have something, we think we're so lucky. We give so much importance to this dunya. But the more important the dunya becomes to a person, the more likely he is to fail. Which is why we see that these days especially, there is a lot of focus on being minimalists. Right? That having the least amount of things possible. 
There are so many reviews out there which mention this concept of being a minimalist. Like many journalists, they have written about this one individual. I was reading an article that he had written about how when he started making money, immediately he bought a house and then he had to furniture to fill up that house and then he had to you know, pay the bills and he had to renovate and do one thing after the other. It got so stuck in that vicious cycle and then you have to get all these gadgets and then you have to update them. And he said he was living elsewhere, but because his house was somewhere else, he had to keep going back and then somebody else was living in their house. So he had to take care of the house, maintain the house as well. And he realized that so much effort and energy was going into something that he did not need. So he left everything, sold everything, kept the money in his pocket, limited himself to a few objects, to a few things. And then he said that he's happier, he's more productive, and he's more focused on his work. But what happens when we go to the store and we see something nice and bright and pink and yellow and we're like, oh, it's so cute. How can I not have it? I have this in pink, but look, the yellow one looks so nice. Hmm? Um, this wall is empty, so I need an, something to put on the wall. And this room doesn't have a rug, so I need that rug. And how about these new cushion covers? And how about those cushions? You know, one thing after the other keeps coming. You get stuck in this cycle. But these things do not please you. They cannot bring you happiness. Because when you're buying them, you're very happy. But when you get home, then you're like, okay, where do I put this? Then you don't have the space. And then you're sad because you don't have a bigger house. Right? You don't have your own space. You have to share your bedroom with your sister. You can't do things your own way. So it makes you even more sad. And then you don't know what to get rid of. Because you don't want to get rid of anything. So really, you get stuck in this cycle. It distracts you. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Alhaakumu takathur. This strife for increase has distracted you. This dunya, wanting more, has distracted you. Distracted you from what? From your main focus, from your main purpose. And what is that? The hereafter. But even your worldly goals, you get distracted from them. Why? Because of your attachment to the dunya. Until you let go, you cannot focus. Until you let go of things, you cannot be successful. If you read about the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, there's a book by Ibn Qayyim, Zadul Ma'ad. It's a very different style of looking at the Prophet ﷺ's life. That he talks about the things that the Prophet ﷺ possessed. He talks about the armor of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, the servants, and so on and so forth. And if you look at the things that he possessed, they were so few. So few. And because of that, he was able to do so much in his life. The problem with us is at home, we're sitting, we're looking at the wall, and we're looking at the painting, and then we're reflecting on the bookshelf, and then we're reflecting on you know, the lines or the pattern on the cushion covers and then we're reflecting on the grains on the wood floor. And how much time has gone in that? 15 minutes easily. Gone. Right? So much time is gone in just picking up the things and putting them and setting them and putting them away and then using them and packing them up and cleaning them. And I'm not saying that empty up your house and live with nothing. No. Enjoy the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. But please, let's not get attached to them. Because when we get attached to them, then we cannot do anything else in life. We cannot. I'm not saying leave your house dirty and messy. No. I'm not saying don't get nice things. No. 
do that. But it should be within a limit. And that should not be our main priority. Because if it becomes our main priority, then we are bound to fail in life. So, حَتَّى إِذَا فَشِلْتُمْ وَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ وَعَصَيْتُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا أَرَاكُمْ مَا تُحِبُّونَ مِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرِيدُ الدُّنْيَا وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرِيدُ الْآخِرَةِ ثُمَّ صَرَفَكُمْ عَنْهُمْ Then he turned you away from them. صَرَفَكُمْ From صَرْف صَدْرَفَ Which is to turn away, to divert. So he turned you away from who? عَنْهُمْ From them. Who does them refer to? The enemy. That you were going to gain victory over them, but then Allah turned you away from them. Meaning, He turned you defeated. He turned you away from the mushrikeen with defeat. Why? لِيَبْتَلِيَكُمْ So that He can test you. He can try you. That who will realize His mistake? Who will accept His mistake? Who will complain? And who will blame? Because when we fail at something, how do we react? Sometimes we reflect on our mistakes and other times we blame others. You know, it's because of her that such and such happened. It's because of him that this and this happened. We blame or we complain. Allah is testing our reaction over there. How do we react? Who do we point fingers at? Ourselves or others? But certainly Allah has forgiven you. Beautiful. Allah has pardoned you. Allah forgave the Sahaba. He forgave the companions for even such a huge mistake they made. Why? Why did He forgive them? The Prophet ﷺ was almost killed in that battle. So many Muslims were killed in that battle. Why did Allah forgive them? Why? Think about it. Why did Allah forgive them? They accepted their mistakes. They reformed. They repented. They made up for the wrong that was committed, the mistake that was committed. That we see that when the mushrikeen attacked, the Prophet ﷺ called the Muslims, come to me. Some of them came to him, others ran away. But then eventually, many sahaba, they joined the Prophet ﷺ, and those who did not, who were not able to, they regretted in their hearts, they felt sorry in their hearts. They sought forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, وَلَقَدْ عَفَا عَنْكُمْ And besides, the people who were with the Prophet ﷺ, remember, they were not ordinary believers. The sacrifices they had to make were enormous. And if they made a mistake, after all, they were who? Human beings. They were human beings. So Allah forgave them. وَاللَّهُ ذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And Allah is possessor of grace over the believers, meaning He is very gracious towards the believers. He is very kind and generous towards them. When they make a mistake, a human error, because they're humans after all, they seek forgiveness, they reform, then Allah also forgives them. Listen to the recitation of these verses. سَنُلْقِي فِي قُلُوبِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا الرُّعْبَ بِمَا أَشْرَكُوا بِاللَّهِ مَا لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ بِهِ سُلْطَانًا وَمَأْوَاهُمُ النَّارِ وَبِئْسَ مَثْوَى الظَّالِمِينَ وَلَقَدْ صَدَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ وَعْدَهُ إِذْ تَحُسُّونَهُمْ بِإِذْنِهِ 
So what do we see in this verse? That Allah helped the Muslims at Uhud just as He helped them at Badr. Just because the Muslims failed does not mean that Allah did not help them. Allah did help them. He fulfilled His promise. Then we see here that the reasons for defeat are mentioned. And what are they? Fashal, tanazir, and isyan. So the next time we are getting into too many arguments and disputes, know that you're heading towards failure. If you're having too many arguments over random things, over petty things with your spouse, with your friend, with your sibling, with your children, know that your relationship is heading towards failure. It is not healthy for a relationship. If you're getting into too many arguments with your boss, with your co-workers, what does it mean? You're not going to stay in that workplace for long. Isn't it so? Likewise, if you lose courage, if you say, I can't do it, you give up, then definitely you cannot do it. Likewise, disobedience. When a person disobeys Allah in something, then he cannot be successful in that work. And unfortunately, many things in life, are started with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you think about it, a wedding even. How many times is Allah disobeyed these days in weddings? So many times. And then we wonder, why are we having problems? Why? Because we are disobeying Allah. This is something that leads to failure. Then we also learn in this ayah that there is always room for improvement. That no matter who we are, we have shortcomings, we have weaknesses. With there are things in our character, in our attitude, in our work ethic that all need fixing, that need refinement. No human being has reached the level of perfection. None of us can say, I am perfect at this. No, there's always something that we lack. There's always something that needs to be fixed. Because if for the Sahaba, Allah says that among you are those who love the world, then what about us? What about us? Definitely, we love the world. Definitely, there are many shortcomings in us. So, basically the point here is that never think that now I'm good. Never think that. Never think that just because you're studying the Qur'an on the weekends, Alhamdulillah, I'm good now. I've started praying five times a day, I'm good now. I started wearing the hijab now, I'm good now. No, there is always room for improvement. There's always things that you need to fix and refine and improve on. Then we also learn in this ayah that Allah forgave the companions. Because no matter how righteous a person may become, he can still make mistakes. What has to be done is that a person should seek forgiveness from Allah. 